You know, Jess, we're both really good looking. And I think we're super cool. Welcome to Sure Jan. The musical theater podcast with Jess and Dan. The Hello. Hi. Hello. Oh. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm. Hopefully, you're not too intimidated by the amount of people who are on the screen right now. <laughs> no, it's absolutely fine. I missed it. It's all good. <laughs> okay. Good. Good. I'm glad. How are um How are things? That feels like a really weird question to ask right now, um, particularly in a world of COVID nineteen. But how are you doing? Yeah. It's it's been a bit crazy actually. Um, I only just got back to London on Sunday. Okay. So last Sunday I was in America. I was in New York. So oh, I've only just come back. What were you here for? I was here to. Uh, I was helping my grandfather. He wasn't well and he sadly passed away. So, um, but um, yeah, I was there to help take care of him and uh, through end of life. Uh, he had cancer and um, yeah, and then I came back. So it's pretty. It's in one big hell of a year right now so, yeah yeah well i'm really sorry to hear that but um i'm sure that he appreciated you being there yes yes he, he did he was very he's very happy to see me when i landed so that was it was a really nice feeling to be there for all of that really yeah good well i want to um well we can introduce ourselves yeah. real fast um so my name is uh my name is dan um and my friend jess and i are the ones Hi. who um host this podcast and then we're here with our friend um nick who is also a drag performer here in columbus ohio um who goes by amanda sue and so um, nick is providing some really great um you know uh feedback and uh, insight into um jamie while we're discussing it of course yeah don't let him yeah, lie to you. I'm just here for the donuts. <laughs> uh, I haven't got any donuts here. I should have brought some myself. Dan, you I said know. you were going to handle that. I know. I should have said it. Here, look out your window. I'll throw real hard. Yeah. Well, great. Well, be amazing. <laughs> um, Dan, we'd love to hear um, just a little bit about you know, what is, I mean, your backstory, of course, but then also getting into how you got involved with everybody's talking about Jamie. Yeah, of course. It's um, yeah, it's crazy for me because uh, I started started acting and performing when I was about eleven years old. And um, you know, my first kind of big job was when I was twelve, and I was in The Lion King in the West End. And um, so for me, that was kind of my first West End credit, and just being shoved straight into this world and really knowing what I was doing. So um, as I've gotten older, I've done like I did a TV sitcom. I did. Like other TV stuff, I came back to the theater and I was just bouncing around, never really feeling like I knew what, how I got there. And um, I remember my agent at the time in 2000 and uh, either end of 2017 or early 2018, I think it's 2018, and um, said to me, you know, there's this script that's come through for a new British musical. And I said, oh, I said, wow, like that's not, that's not normal to find like new British musicals going on in so I said, yeah, sure, I'll have a look. Um, and they sent me the whole script for the audition. And I read the script. And I remember I went to my mom and I said, Mom, have a look at this. Like, this is, this is good. This is amazing. This is, so, this is something that needs to be seen. So I said, okay, I'll audition for it. And I hadn't auditioned for a musical in quite a few years at this point. So I was so, like, unprepared. And, you know, there's a certain etiquette. You come in for a musical audition. You come in with your sheet music for the song you're gonna sing, you know. You should get, and I didn't have any of that. I, I honestly, I had nothing. I came into the room and uh, they were like, "Have you got a song ready?" And the agent at the time didn't really. My agent at the time didn't really tell me this stuff. I think she just expected I'd nip no, but I was like, "No, I don't." And you had Jonathan Buttrell, who was in front of me. He's the director, yeah. and you had uh, Dan Gillespie Sells, who did the music and. And Tom McRae wasn't there on the day he did the writing of the script. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, they were like, oh, can you sing Happy Birthday? And I said, yeah, I, I know that song. <laughs> <laughs> I sang Happy Birthday with the pianist. And they were like, oh, you've got a nice voice. Do you think you you know All of Me by John Legend? And I said, um, yeah, sure. <laughs> and I just, I just kind of sang it, but made up half of the lyrics because I didn't know them all. And... Um, it was really weird because they just seemed to really like me. They got me to sit down. They talked me through the accent, the Sheffield accent, you know, the dialect sure. and how it should sound. Jonathan being from Sheffield. And um, 
I think he just he liked me. I got this really good vibe and I left the room and my agent called to ask me how it went and I said, oh, I, I think they really liked me. But I had no idea why. Like, I was the most unprepared person in the room. Like, <laughs> I, I've never been so unprepared in my life yeah. in any audition. And I got called back again for the dance round. Kate Prince, who did the choreography, she seemed to really like me because she did this little freestyle section I did a bit of popping and locking. She kept me back after and was like, can I just see you do some more of that stuff? And then again, my mom was asking me, my agent was asking me, I said, do you know what? For the first time in my life, I think I just, I know I've got the role. Like I think I've got a part in the show. And I was so excited, excited kind of early on because I just knew that this show was going to be something huge. Like I, I just knew, yeah. I just, I think Jamie's story growing up at 16 and not knowing who you want to be or what you want to do with your life is just something we can all relate to mm-hmm. from any background, you know? Um, and my, obviously everybody's story differs, but I think it's, it's such a common thing. And I think that's why I've met so many people through the show with different stories, touching stories. I've definitely cried a few times yeah. <laughs> sharing their experiences of wanting to be a drag queen or, or transitioning or you know absolutely anything and it's it's been it was amazing being i've actually got my posters around the wall like it's actually amazing like being knowing that i was part of the original cast for that show so yeah that's yeah. kind of my summary of my opening of the story <laughs> well that's i mean you know for the auditions that i've been a part of where i see you know when a when a music director in particular feels bad for someone and says you know go ahead mm. and sing happy birthday in my experience that's usually like a Mm, we'll hear you sing, but after this will be yeah. the last time we ever yeah. see you. So it's great to see that that happy birthday can be successful for someone. It can be successful. Yeah. Not that anyone else should ever do that. <laughs> but, you know, I was surprised because I thought, okay, this is terrible. I, I you know, I should, I've messed up. And, um, but I left the room and, you know, even on the final audition, I did the third one, like it was a singing audition. It was like 15 people in the room. It was, it was a lot of people. And I was like, okay, clearly this is like the final round. And I recently got told a story while I was in Jamie. So Tom McRae, the writer, got called and he was in LA at the time. And he told me the story. He said, Dan, you know, you did your first audition. And I got a call from Jonathan and Dan. And they said, there's this really great guy. He come, he came in. He has no idea what he's doing, but he's really great. <laughs> I think we like him. And I was like, wow. Like They had so much faith in me and Nika Burns, who owns all the NIMAX theatres and things. She had faith in me to come to do it in West End as well. So I, I'm i very grateful to them. You know, I haven't got a bad thing to say about any of them, really. They, they were amazing and supportive. And there was real passion and love for the show. You know, it wasn't that anyone was, okay, we're in this for the money and this. It was just real love for the story. And I think it comes across when you see the show. Yeah. Oh, definitely. For sure. mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the ensemble is a huge part of just like the storytelling of this, more so than a lot of musicals that exist. Um, when you were auditioning for it, were you, were you ever going for like one of the, the, the main characters or was your intention to be um, a part of the ensemble? Well, they had me briefly audition as Dean, really. I did mm-hmm. understudy him later in West End, so yeah. I was his understudy. Um, but um, no, I didn't actually know what I was going for. Um, <laughs> I just knew Levi sounded like a black name. I was like, I'm probably going for Levi. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he, it was great. The rehearsal process was good because Jonathan really said, you know, every character has a name. You know, everyone's an individual. Yeah. And I want to feel like I am with school kids when I watch this show. And it's, it's so true because people will come and see the show and, you know, super fans of the show will see it a hundred times and be able to tell you, oh, you did this different or you did this with your character today. And it, and I found that wild to think that in a Western show, the ensemble are being looked at in some ways just as much as the leads. And I thought that to me was something I've never seen before in any show. And I've been to quite a few shows now and I still don't see that. So it was really nice to know that we were allowed to create these characters. We did character work with George at the time. Mm-hmm. He was like, what animal would your character be, you know? What, what's his background, you know, does he have a brother and sister, is he an only child, like all these things we got to work on during rehearsal and I just never thought that was possible, so yeah, it was great. That's so cool, yeah. yeah. 
um, I know uh, we talk about this when we talk about shows a lot, is the the, the world building that the ensemble provides. Um, mm. I, I personally love being in the ensemble. I think there's something very cool about like, just being that like the paintbrush that paints the, the the setting that the the main characters are coming through and like walking through that world um and when we we were uh, fortunate enough to watch um some of the clips from the uh, pro shot um which yes. was super cool and particularly in this show the ensemble does such a great job of really setting that scene and also making it feel alive. Like there are so many scenes yeah. where like stuff's happening in the background um, or I, you can tell like, oh, those guys are definitely friends. Like, I, I, I don't know what yeah. they're talking about, but like definitely like that's, that's a conversation that's happening. And if I could like focus the lens a little differently, I would see a whole new world and a whole different thing that's happening in this school, um, which is, is, is the, one of the cool things about theater. And I think, yeah. If you look at, like, Golden Age or, like, classic shows, you see a lot of, like, the ensemble stands in a line. And they, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And they, they're, they're kind of a, a collective. Mm -hmm. They're not individuals. And there are just so many little moments. And um, I, I just recently uh, choreographed a show for a high school. And it, they, it was Shrek. And so there are all these little fairy tale creatures. And we talked a lot about, like, you are that creature. Like, if you are the fairy godmother, like, you have to, like, move through the world like that is... The, like the way that you are and like you see that in Jamie you see like oh okay I understand this world I get where these people are coming from which mm -hmm. is just so cool yeah. <laughs> that is so cool I think as well we this was the thing I did like when mm -hmm. I knew we were coming on stage so I don't know if you've seen the beginning of the show you know we all kind of come on stage as one with this like big loud noise of mm -hmm. us talking so just before we start the show I'll be in the wings and I'd say guys we're going to play a game right so like just get our energy levels get something for us to talk about and it was like a rhyming game and i saw it in like a tv show it's called what we're doing in the classroom and i'll be like oh we're jumping up and down in the classroom someone else would go we're spinning around in the classroom and you just keep going and just try to rhyme and it just honestly some people will come out with the funniest things and then it would just literally they'd be like okay and three two one go we're all on stage and that would be the topic of discussion like someone said like he was in a coffin or it could be anything mm -hmm. and um i just always used to switch it up on my side like every single day because i thought i wanted to treat every show as something new i wanted to treat every every little moment and jonathan was very specific about this like finding something new each time because you know anyone who's been in a long show for running for a year and i did that show in total of maybe two Two and two and a bit years because I came back for a bit. You know, you you don't want to get bored. Mm -hmm. You want to keep it fresh. You want to keep it alive. And I think it's so important that you find those, like you said, those little moments that are just really great. Like everyone has the occasional, you know, accidents on stage. Like maybe they've fallen over. I've definitely <laughs> done that yeah. before. And those moments, but then you you just somehow embed that into the scene and. Even in the dance numbers, I'd, I'd fell off a desk and I'd, you've probably seen those desks in the show. I hated those things. Like, I absolutely, they're so hard. Like, sometimes the seats wouldn't come out. Sometimes you couldn't push it. Like, sometimes I'd have to jump and it would move. It was a lot going on. So if I fell off it, we'd somehow just bring that into the show. And I think the audiences loved it. And yeah, that's that was important for me. Just as long as we were serving the story in some way. I felt like that would be fine. <laughs> We'd get away with anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Jamie was it had this has this interesting part of being shot, um, you know, professionally for distribution in, in movie theaters um, across the UK. But they, I mean, they also show them in movie theaters here in the US. And yeah. um, what I mean, what you being able to be a part of that and sort of immortalizing the show, not only in the cast album but also in this pro shot, is so cool. Yeah. What can you tell me a little bit or tell us about the what shooting that was like and and particularly because there was an audience there correct when you shot it uh yes was it did you shoot it like as if it was a regular show or did you take breaks in between well no we shot it as a regular show yeah so it was okay. it was so they'd taken out a lot of the front row of seats to put in the cameras sure and the cameras above so we had this kind of weird dynamic of there was no one next to the stage anymore and I know that there were some people on stage that obviously didn't have TV training or had ever done film. But for those of us who kind of knew, we knew that obviously bring some things down because 
the cameras right there. Mm. But also, let's not forget about, you know, the other people in the yeah. audience. So it was that very tricky middle ground of finding how much we could put and how big we could make things. Um, but I think it was such it was such a fun thing because all the audience knew that they were gonna that we were filming the show, so they were very aware. And there was just this, well, there was still such a great energy, and they were so supportive anyway, and laughing. And we, I think, we were all in some way feeling the pressure of we need to get this show right. Like we cannot mess anything up yeah. because we don't know what will be put in the final edit. So um, yeah, it was it was an incredible moment. I, I love the fact. I think that that and the Olivier Awards was the two highlights for me. Oh, I bet. And that I mean that was your first time performing at the Olivier's, obviously, right? So Oh it was electric. Like I've never heard a crowd or people scream. Like as I don't get nervous really. It's not really my thing. I'm just kind of really quite calm and um <clears throat> I just felt this adrenaline as soon as it's everybody's talking about Jamie and the scream and then we ran out and got into positions. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. like I'm ready for this. Like I just felt like this is this is the moment for this show. Like it was it was insane. Well, especially uh, my when friend you know. he showed me the video yesterday, actually, because uh, he never got to see me in the show. Oh, cool. And right. I, I always remember that moment of just the scream and the, the, the energy, because everyone's performers, everyone was there, was just supporting each other, and I thought, it's such a beautiful moment for theatre, so yeah. Yeah. Well, I do, you know, I'd be curious to know what, what was it like going into a year where you have an original musical on the West End, and another musical in the West End's opening that same year is Hamilton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, I mean, what were the conversations like that? I mean, knowing that, you know, when in, in the Tony Awards, when Hamilton opened, you know, there were a lot of great musicals, like School of Rock opened that year and Waitress opened that year, but, like, they weren't going to win anything. Um, what was that like for you? It's you know, crazy. I, I knew nothing about Hamilton before Olivier's. I, I had no idea. I didn't know anything about the show. I can tell you anything. And, um... All I knew is that we were nominated for five Olivier Awards. Mm -hmm. We didn't win one, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I saw Hamilton do their performance and I said, wow, this looks, this looks cool. But there's such different shows. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it was such a, it was crazy. And people could say, oh, you guys were robbed of the awards. And I, I was like, listen, I don't really care about the awards personally. Like the award doesn't do anything for me. It's just knowing that people were watching this show because there's so many people that didn't think this show could be anything, you know, and Jonathan and all, and Dan, Dan could tell you like loads of people said, Oh, let's not do anything with that show. It's not going to do it, but they believed in it. And for, to, to even be nominated for five awards, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm ecstatic. And then I got to see Hamilton and I said, this show is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I met some of the cast, so, you know, I got to come backstage and meet a lot of them and talk to them. And I was like, this show, like, guys, it's, it's incredible. And for me as, you know, personally as a black, as a black man, I was like seeing so many ethnicities on stage, you know, uh, was, and I brought my mom with me and she was just crying. And I didn't realize why she was crying. And I spoke to her and she said, you know, I'm just so proud to see black people on stage mm -hmm. doing that and being that amazing. And, I never thought of it like that. I just thought I was watching a show and yeah. I forgot someone of my mother's generation, who's, my mom's almost 60, you know, how much that would mean to her. Yeah. So um, I saw that show in a whole new light. You know, I had a soul, such a different relation to Hamilton than, than I did with Jamie. And you can't, you can't compare the two. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm not jealous. I'm not anything like that. I just love both shows. I think they're both incredible. I think it's really incredible that you were saying that your mother's reaction to Hamilton made you have like a realization of gener general, like uh, uh, generational reactions. Because with Jamie, it really, I think, is the same way. I think the way I've consumed the product would be different than if my parents mm -hmm. consumed it. Um, and I think that's the beauty of, of what you've created and what was created is that it, it really uh, takes, uh, as we were discussing earlier, it takes like this trope or this like specific idea of like queer identity and puts it through a really different yeah. perspective that we wouldn't have even been discussing 15 years ago. Um, and and yeah. the fact that we're building on something now, I mean, uh, the impact, the influence, it might not be a Hamilton in, in the yeah. same sense, but it is a Hamilton in the same sense that it's moving people. Mm -hmm. It's, it's moving the, the scale. Yeah, I think it's so. I think it's such a spot on point. I think as well, like, you know, when it came to Jamie, people 
there would be people would be like, oh, so what was Jamie about? And people would say, oh, it's about this kid who's gay and blah blah blah. And I was like, no, it's it's, it's more than that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's such it's a bigger, wider scope. It's 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 a kid finding who he wants to be, and anyone can relate to that. Yeah. So it was it was always key for me to get people to understand that that it was it's bigger than it's bigger than us as yeah. just one minute kind of detail of he is gay and no, it's, it's there's so much more to it than that, and. That actually used to irritate me if people ever said that to me. I'm like, no, we need to have a sit down and yeah. talk about Jamie as what it represents for yeah. the greater world and how we live it, yeah. and acceptance of people of whatever they want to do. So, I'm I'm very big on that. So we're not going to get too political. Well, very, <laughs> yeah. but very, I'm very big on that stuff. So yeah. Well, great. Well, Dan, thank you so much for talking to thank us. You. We appreciate it. Yeah, this was really, really great. Um, we're going to get this edited in the next week or two, and then um, I'll be sure to you know tag you on Instagram <laughs> when we do send it. But, please do. Please yeah. do. But thank you so much for talking to us, and I hope... Thank you so hope, much, guys. Yeah, I hope you have a good rest of your evening for you. <laughs> yeah, even, yeah, for me. Have a rest of, good rest of your day, so... Thanks. <laughs> See you later. Enjoy. See you later, guys. Bye. By stealing every scene And soon the fans were queuing round the block To see the diva in the blood red frock And that my dearest how a star shall rise With ready lips and murder in her eyes Till one day to avoid a prison cell This look all vanish like a magic spell Or where she's now no I'll never tell That's the legend How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us today. Um, it's great to see you. Um, so, my name is Dan, um, and I'm one of the hosts of the the podcast that we're on right now. This is my friend Jess, Hi. who's my co-host, um, and then this is our friend Nick. Uh, and Nick is a guest on our podcast today because uh, he performs as a drag performer here in Columbus, Ohio, under the okay. name Amanda Sue. So he has some particularly great insight into. <laughs> Um, the world of drag and particularly Jamie, but, um, how are you, how are you doing in this strange time of COVID-19? Yeah, I'm okay. You know, surviving. Okay. Not, not quite thriving, but you know, one foot in front of the other and yeah, I mean, it's, it could be worse, couldn't it? It's a strange time. I feel for the, uh, theater producers, you know, the community's taken a bit of a knock it's been tough. We've had a hard week in London, obviously. I'm not sure if you heard, but we've gone into the highest tier alert, tier three, which means that all the theatres, which had just reopened literally on Saturday, yep. Sunday, Monday, have now closed three days later. Yeah. Um, with a day's notice. So it's hard. I feel hard. You know, they've all taken a knock, um, but we'll come back. We'll be fine. Yeah, we'll Jamie was open for a hot second. Um, yeah, and then, exactly. And then closed again. And yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah. Hey-ho. You know? Yeah. You have to do what you have to do. And it's just, it feels strange because, you know, let's not get too political and talk about our government, but we have proved over the past couple of months that the theatres in this city are COVID safe. They are... People are heat tested, they are tracked and traced, they are isolated, the cast and crew are COVID tested. It seems insane that in an environment where not a single case has been found, uh, that they've closed, they've closed us again. Mm-hmm. When you look at the busy um, Oxford Street and places like that that are packed, you know, Harrods, department stores, and they're still open. Just close Oxford Street and keep the theatres open. You know, and, and the museums and the galleries where it's timed entrances and there's five people in an enormous room. It just seems insane. It's almost as if this government are trying to destroy the arts. But let's not go there. Well, yeah, and I know New York is also suffering, obviously, in a very similar way. And we're all yeah. just hoping. I mean, right now, Broadway is set to be closed at least through the end of May. So sad. And we'll see if it gets reopened at that point. And, you know, we all hope that it does. Yeah. 
But yeah, um, well, you know, changing the vibe a little bit. Um, yeah. Could you, we would love to hear more about your sort of your journey with Jamie and, and where you heard about it first and how you got involved with the production. Yes, so I got called in to meet the creative team. I think it was the beginning of 2015 or uh, end of 2015 when they were doing a workshop because it started as a workshop and then it did a, um, a tryout for a couple of weeks. And that all happened about nine months before the West End production was announced. So back in the day, they met me for the workshop. They met me for, um, they auditioned me to play Hugo and Loco Chanel role. Okay. uh, They didn't cast me. Um, The song, I think it was singing over the top. I'm convinced to this day that they've since brought the key down because uh, I, I was able to sing it in the West End. But for that workshop audition, uh, maybe I was a bit rusty. I was quite new to musical theatre. This is something that I've only been working in for the past four or five years. Uh, anyway, they didn't choose to cast me as Hugo for the workshop or the tryout. However, when the West End production came around, they had, it had become clear that the role of Jamie's dad... Um, which, even though it's quite a small role, it's quite specific in its toughness. They had decided that the the line of parts for that character would be the first cover for Hugo and Loco Chanel. So they needed somebody who would be able to flip between the two. And they'd seen me as Hugo, which was a good fit for me. And, I mean, even though I'd never done drag in my life... <laughs> I, I wasn't even sure that was part of the deal, but then they said, you, you're cast, we're going to use you, you're playing Jamie's dad, but you're going to have to play Hugo. As we, we call it covers here. Is that what you call it, alternates? I mean, understudy, but people say cover too. Yeah, so we, I was first cover Hugo, okay. which, you know, when you're in a show for that long is a lot. You're on constantly yeah. uh, in that part. And so that was... That was obviously I wanted to be part of the whole show, but knowing that I would get to play Loco Chanel, you know, six, seven times a month or whatever, Mm -hmm. was just a gift. I mean, it was incredible. So that's how I found myself there. And what interesting roles to bounce back and Mm -hmm. forth to for a number of reasons. I mean, you know, Jamie's dad, uh, Wayne, Wayne, right? Yeah. Wayne is um, so, you know, incredibly homophobic in so many ways and just frightened of of what Jamie was, uh, and then Hugo is just like the complete opposite. To So to bounce back and forth between those two roles, um, but then also knowing that one night, you know, going on as Jamie's dad, you're just, you know, probably not wearing something vastly different than what you wore to the theater that night, where as Hugo, you're taking makeup on and off and going through all of these different dresses and and, and I mean, yeah. what completely yeah, I mean, different tracks. Actually, part of the track was also to be second cover for all the three drag queens so it was a you know there was five parts that i had to learn and if you were playing hugo it was great because you had a team there turning you into loco chanel in the 15 20 minute break that you had between scenes but if which happened often i was playing jamie's dad and one of the three drag queens from legs 11 it was in, out, in, out, in, out. Three times the makeup per show would come on and off. So, you know, six times a day in a two-show day, it was a real lesson in quick drag, put it that way. <laughs> and having to put on eyebrows, not mm. often that straight. But And for me being, I was so new to the drag world. I mean, like I said, I was new to musical theatre, so it was a real baptism of fire. But I loved every second of it. I mean, it was interesting because when we did a preview... Uh, before we even opened, uh, the New York Times came and Vanity Fair. There was a lot of press that sneaked in before the actual press night. And Nika Burns, the producer, was, you know, uh, understandably very nervous. And one of the drag queens went down, was off. And it was so early on that I hadn't I hadn't learned. I mean, I'd learned the track, but I hadn't done a run of it. Technically, we hadn't practiced the changing of the costumes in and out, in and out. You know, I'd barely done it with the other actors. I I mean, it was, and also 
There's a scene during Hugo's song, The Ballad of Loco Chanel, where our director, Johnny Butterall, got put into drag and was thrown on stage, and he'd never done it before. So we were terrified. You know, we knew that we had some major critics watching us. And um, the good thing was, at the interval, uh, some of them critics said to Nika Burns, our producer, we had no idea there was any covers on. So we were happy. <laughs> we got through it. Yeah, that's like a classic theater story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm when you were told that, you know, we, you, particularly first going in for Hugo and then being told, okay, we're actually going to have you play Wayne, you know, talking to you right now, it doesn't quite seem that you and Wayne share a lot of character. I mean, I could be wrong, but it doesn't really seem like you two share a lot of personal characteristics. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a tricky one with Jamie's dad because uh, he was, uh, he, I mean, personally, I think, I'm, I'm hoping that they explore him a little bit more in the film because in the stage production, he always felt slightly underwritten. But that was mostly because the the production team and also the real Jamie and Margaret, they didn't really want to give this man the airtime that, you know, because he didn't deserve it. And uh, historically, the real Jamie's dad had put an embargo, he didn't want to be involved. In fact, he threatened to sue them if they had used his name, etc. So you'll notice that in the original documentary of Jamie Campbell, Drag Queen at 16, you never see Jamie's dad. He's alluded to, he's a powerful, potent character. You know, Jamie Campbell, every waking minute was kind of wanting to seek approval from his father, um, which he never ever got. And um, probably still hasn't got, you know, Jamie Campbell's a big icon now and mm -hmm. he still has no relationship with his real dad, which is a shame. That's fine because he's got me now and he knows that he can always call me. Um, but I mean, in terms of giving the real man that, that voice, they really, they didn't want to, they didn't want to, um, to give him that uh, recognition. Mm -hmm. So they called him Jamie's dad. Mm -hmm. And they tried to make him, obviously he's a real person and he has to feel three-dimensional, but it's more about what he represented mm -hmm. rather than who he actually was. And I think a lot of young gay men, you know, gay women, uh, people who feel that they don't fit in, etc., have experienced a parent very like Jamie's dad. So he had this universal vibe. And it was more that that we focused on. And we, we weren't so hung up on the specific, the biographical, the real, you know. We didn't want to get called out for not being authentic to the real man because, yeah, like I said, they didn't, they didn't want to recognize him. So well, and, and that's how it came about. Honestly, the knife kind of cuts both ways because there's something very powerful about a character being so specific and having so much detail and how uh, the emotional attachment the character can get. But there's also something so great about this blanket distance and silence mm -hmm. that you're getting that any person who's watching this and seeing these characters can be like, oh, I feel that from mm -hmm. this angle. It's, it's kind of like the monster you don't know is scarier than the monster you know everything about. Yeah. And I think yeah. there's something really powerful about how they did that in the show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, he's constantly referred to uh, Jamie never shuts up about him, and, and yet you see him so rarely. So when he comes and finally makes an appearance, I think you know there's obviously in a sense of anticipation, but also people just like angry with him, disappointed by it, just devastated for Jamie. Um, it was it was actually even though there wasn't a great deal of responsibility in the show. It was a difficult role. I felt, you know, I've done, a, I've played all sorts of parts, bad guys, villains, abusive husbands, you know, drunk, dr you name it. I've played a lot of bad guys, but getting to the root of this character, I found quite tricky. Uh, they rewrote him uh, regularly during the previews and uh, uh, some of it came from the real Margaret Campbell and Jamie because they kept saying, he wasn't like that, or I know he's not like that, but that's not quite right. And it was hard not to take it personal for the first couple of weeks. In the end, we just had to say to them, 
uh, they made this decision to just let the real man disappear and you know let's just work with let's just work with an archetype um, so that yeah well the first time he's seen in the show isn't it, it's kind of funny um, isn't it uh, with Jamie's mom mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. she he asked to share a fag with her like yeah. the irony of them having already had a child um, who was gay no yeah. uh, the uh, the idea of him like having a vice that he doesn't want anyone to know about, but he's he's okay with her knowing about it. It's it's just kind of it's really interesting. It's he's yeah yeah that they've they've had a shared history and at some point they probably were a good couple yeah. and the and the, it was the sun that came between them when we were rehearsing the process that the director took us through was it was it was a, it was really creative. It was very it was quite intense. We did a lot of improvs and scene studies around the child the young child that scene in act two where he says my dad caught me once dressing up you know we played out those scenes when he was eight years old when i scolded him and you know told him that he was disgusting and uh and that really helped us to just feed into the the narrative and the and the truth between these people because even though it's not the real Jamie Campbell or the real Margaret Campbell. They were. This is Jamie knew and Margaret mm-hmm. knew and Wayne knew. We wanted to find. You know, it had to be. It had to be believable. Yeah. Were there? I mean, I, I assume the answer is no. But were there any conversations like? I mean, I, I'm assuming that you never met Jamie's dad. Um, no. There. I mean, how often they was he brought up versus like what your interpretation of the character? Sort of what? Because I like that's got to be a delicate balance of we need to talk about him a lot, but we don't want to give him the light of day. Yeah, it was like I say, it was a tricky one. We were we were navigating this thing of wanting to make it authentic, but not honor that man. Um, they they had such mixed feelings and still do about the real uh, Jamie's dad. That, yeah. um, it was it was hard. It was the. It, it, for, for, it was the trickiest part of the process. Most of the show kind of fell into place, but Jamie's dad was just a, was just a tricky problem. Sure. Um, I feel that you know, it, it, to the for the most part, it got solved, mm-hmm. and hopefully, the film takes it a little bit further. And from what I've seen from some of the things I've heard in the trailer, I think they are going to give him it seems like a, it. Little, yeah. a little more breathing space. Well, because I think, I mean, Jamie's dad is so referenced mm-hmm. in the trailer for the film in a way yeah. that he's not, a, I mean, he's not a huge character at all in the musical, obviously, mm-hmm. but it seems like the, the relationship that Jamie has with his dad seems to be a huge yeah. part of what the movie, at least what the, from what the trailer gives. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. going to be. So I'm curious to see if that's how, how that's going to happen, if it's going to happen. Yeah. We can't wait to see it. I mean, they've <laughs> kept us waiting for so long. Yeah. Delayed and delayed and delayed and yeah. delayed. Oh, wow. So then the, I, I have to ask you, because it is really fun to see this conversation that you have with Jamie's mom and then later with Jamie in Act 2. And both times you're just an extremely unlikable person. But then you come out in the finale and we get oh, to yeah. see you dance. And it is just yeah. so, I mean, was it was it nice to end the show on a high note, particularly for someone who's so mean oh, throughout sure. the show? Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, the director said, just come out and enjoy yourself. Don't worry about being the bad guy. You know, they're going to boo you when you bow. And they did pretty much every night. Yeah. If they didn't boo me, I felt like I hadn't done my job. But luckily, <laughs> sure. they booed me every night. So... <laughs> Although but I would yeah, just go for it, you know, enjoy yourself. And that final finale was always meant to be a celebration mm-hmm. and a sense of community and a relief and a release. Yeah. So yeah, you can't have, um, yeah, you can't come on in a bad mood. Yeah. <laughs> No, definitely. Well, um, I would have loved to seen the choreography if they said, you know, stay in character <laughs> and be mean and, and be and be angry, but still do all the choreography but the way we're asking dance. you to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, then, so, uh, you know, obviously it's, it's been a while since you've been a part of Jamie. So what has life been like since the show? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 been interesting. Of course, this past year has been very quiet. 
um, for the theatres especially. I was lucky enough to do a couple of shows out of Jamie. Um, I've also just filmed, well, it wasn't just, it's about to come on. I'm in a TV show that starts on HBO Max in January. Okay. And uh, it's called It's a Sin. It's by an uh, English writer called Russell T. Davis, okay. who wrote Queer as Folk. Mm-hmm. Oh, fun. Okay. Uh, he's, a, he's a very, he's a highly revered British TV mm-hmm. writer, and he's written a five-part series called It's a Sin. It starts in January, and it's his take on, well, it's the British experience of the AIDS crisis. So it's about a pandemic in the 1980s, which strangely is quite similar to what we're going through now, where there was a lot of uncertainty, people very scared, lots of washing of hands, etc. But this show is more, um, it's like a love story to the, the men, the young men mostly, mostly gay men who died early on, uh, who were lost, and to try and give them, them a voice and just to write that British perspective and see the HIV uh, pandemic through the UK. Because we had, I mean, we had a a different experience. Of course, it was devastating for everybody. Um, And often it's about your your governments at the time and, uh, you know, your society. you were in America. You were you were way ahead of us. You know, you had people like Larry Kramer out and proud, and you had you know a lot of protests and uh, civil disobedience, etc. Um, and then eventually Stonewall, etc. But in the UK, it was much more a culture of fear. Um, we had um, uh, a law called Section Twenty Eight, which meant that. In schools, you couldn't even reference gay people. You couldn't talk about them. You, it was almost as if they didn't exist. So, growing up in the shadow of AIDS and being gay was a terrible burden for you know young boys like me. I lived through the whole thing. Um, so, I'm proud to be a part of this show. Yeah. It's an incredible piece of television. Um, uh, so yeah, check it out. Great. No, we absolutely will. And uh, and you've just plugged it too. So um, not that we have the biggest fan base yet, but um, there's yeah. some people at least. So well, great. Well, Ken, thank you so much for talking yeah, to us. Absolutely. We really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank yeah. you. Um, I know it's obviously a different time, so I hope you have a good rest of your evening. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it's lovely to meet you, and thanks for asking. Yeah, yeah of course. Have a good rest thank of your you night. Thank you so much. Bye bye bye. bye. See you later. Bye. skin cause girl you're gonna bleed I tell her blue skies turn to grey the only questions when I'd make her see her future's me hey if hey look how are you again, hey how are you good good you can hear us okay yeah great thanks okay good great it's nice to talk to you I like your virtual background mm-hmm. Thanks very much. <laughs> could, 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 could you walk us through it a little bit? What are we looking at? It looks like a little little tree just about here, doesn't it? A yeah. little bonsai-style fantasy <laughs> tree. Much nicer than just a wall, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, for sure. Well, Luke, hey, it was. Uh, thank you so much for talking to us just for a little bit. I'm glad we were able to make it work. Yeah. Um, Sorry for the, the confusion. No, we made it. We got there. Um, my name is Dan. Um, I am one of the hosts of the, the, the current podcast that you're on right now, Sure Jan. And this okay. is my friend Jess, who's the other Hi. co-host. Hey, Jess. Hey. And then this is our friend Nick. Um, Nick is our special guest on this episode because um, Nick performs as a drag performer here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, yeah. Under the name Amanda Sue. So Nick has some particularly great <laughs> insight in the show. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Great. 
Um, so, I mean, we would love to just sort of get into, well, I guess, number one, how are you? How was your life during COVID-19? Oh, it's, um, well, it, it's, it's all right, actually. Um, I was actually teaching uh, in Dubai when it all sort of kicked wow. off with COVID. Yeah, um, I was doing like Jamie workshops and hairspray workshops like for English schools over there. Oh, cool. And um, yeah, and then uh, I came back to London and it was as if nothing was happening. <laughs> so no one was locking down. And then I came back and did like a gig. Because I'd finished Jamie by this point, yeah. uh, did like a gig and a bit more teaching. And then um, I was like, is anyone going to start locking down anytime soon? Because uh, <laughs> there's a thing happening around the world and everyone else is reacting except here. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been cool. We had really strict lockdown in like April, March, April in summer. And it's really, really hot. Um, so we made the most of that. And then I started working as a gardener. Um uh, which is great because it's been really nice weather and, um, you know, just sort of keeping busy doing a bit of that, auditions uh, over self-tapes and things like that. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's quiet. It's it's just a bit of a, a turnaround for, for the whole industry and um, we all have to adapt, right, and uh, stay positive and try not to get it, let us, uh, let it get us down, yeah. um, you know. No, so, yeah, sure. that's that's it really for us, um, and we're just really looking forward to the new year. Um, the West End almost um, yeah. almost opened. I think Jamie had. I don't know if did they do. I don't know if they did Monday and Tuesday. Maybe I think they might have done Monday. They opened uh, on the twelfth and closed on, Saturday, on the fourteenth. And then yeah. say again, sorry. They opened on the twelfth and closed on the fourteenth. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I felt I, I sent them all a message. I was so gutted for them yeah. because, you know, a, lo- a lot of them it, it, they they only op- they only opened in January, so they only had a few months on, and then they've had the, the most of their contract. They haven't been on, so it's heartbreaking, really. Um, but what can you do? I mean, yeah. it's um it's just a tough time, and so we don't know, really know what's going on here, to be no. honest. Yeah, no, it's tough. Um, but you know, switching the mood a little bit. Yeah, uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, you're fine. It's it's always a question I like to ask to see what everyone's doing and how they're handling it. But it's yeah. it's rarely a happy answer, obviously. Um, so, could you tell us a little bit about your you know your journey with Jamie and where you first heard of it and how you got involved? Yeah, cool. So um, I was um, I I had. I hadn't heard of it at all, and I was touring with uh, the UK with uh, Footloose, um, and um, I got this audition through to play this character called Dean, and everybody's talking about Jamie, this new thing, and it was going to go to the Crucible Theatre in Sheffield, and it was going to be um, um, like a two-week run. Um, they were going to try out this brand new show about this kid who wants to go to prom in, a dra- in drag, and that was like, that's all I knew about, really. And then uh, there was a girl in the show... Uh, in Footloose who had done the workshop for it and she was like oh yeah you're perfect for the role um you should uh, and I was like how much how much of a dick is this guy because (laughs) I'm allowed to say that oh yeah yeah. Yeah. swear away he was like I was like how much of a dick is this guy like because I knew I for me I knew that guy at school like Mm. I recognized the character I was like okay um I'm like can I take it to the extreme and be you know really horrible and she was like absolutely you know she did the workshop and stuff and I was like cool 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 went into the audition um and I well I sent a, I sent a self-tape of the the scene and a uh, song of my choice and then um because Dean doesn't have to have, do a number so I was like that's cool um and then uh did the audition uh, met John in my audition who played who originated Jamie we sort of did the scenes together um shortly after that I think I think I did one more round after that, so it was quite a short audition process. I got the job, uh, then we went to Sheffield, and we were like in rehearsals going, what do we think, is it gonna be a hit, or, or is, it, is it gonna flop? Because a lot of times when people take risks, um, you never know what's gonna happen, depending on the audience and whatever. And we absolutely hit bullseye. It, it resonated with so many people, we had no idea it was going to resonate on such a, a wide spectrum. We were like, is it just for um, queer kids who um, want to be drag queens? Is it 
it's not. It's for anyone who's ever felt different in any way, shape or form. And it was so like, everyone went, I know that guy. And I, and I know a version of Jamie and I'm a bit of Jamie. And, and he was so like, wow. And, and after, we, after we opened the first night in Sheffield, um, you couldn't get a ticket. And they were like, what are we going to do? Um, we've sold out in a night. Um, and we've got producers coming from America and we haven't bought them a ticket yet. We thought we'd be able to, we're going to have to like sit some people on stairs. We're going to have to like squeeze everyone in. Um, we don't know what we're going to do. And it was just so, you know, it just blew out of proportion. Uh, for me on my part, I was, um, living at home with my parents because the, the theater is close to where I grew up. Mm -hmm. So I just thought I'll live there while I'm doing the show. So I had to rush to get the train back, back home. And um, an old lady stopped me and was like, you need a slap. And I was like, what? She was like, you need a slap. The way you were talking to that guy, it's awful. I was like, I'm just, I'm dirty. I'm, <laughs> I'm an actor, I'm pretending. Relax, relax. She was like, I was like, hang on, that's the reaction I should be getting. Thank you, yeah. great. Assaulted by strange women <laughs> on the train. Literally, I was like, old ladies kicking off at me is exactly what Dean needs to hear. You know, we need to tell these kids yeah. that's out of order. You know, you can't say that. So, wow. yeah, so that basically happened. And then we transferred six months later in the West End. The rest is history, right? I mean, it just blew up and it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. Well, and it's great because, I mean, obviously it blew up over there. And it's it's certainly no, I mean, the movie is going to help yeah. a lot with it being known over here, too. But um, mm -hmm. I would only say, Jamie's really only known amongst really musical theater nerds yeah. over here. Yeah. It's not so mainstream quite yet. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But you brought up an interesting point. So earlier um, today, we got to talk to uh, Ken Christensen. Mm -hmm. um, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All about, about his experience as well. Um, and you both have similar characters and that you're both assholes and yeah. um what from talking to you right now it doesn't you know i don't know you that well but i'm going to assume that you're not that big of an asshole um could you <laughs> <laughs> um no, could you hopefully not oh, i mean like you walk us through a little bit about what it was like to be like, such a dick on stage and um and how well, that felt i think it's it's interesting like as you as you um as you grow as an actor, right, you have to remember that it's not you being judged because you're playing a character, right? Mm -hmm. And if you play a character that's like similar to your age or whatever, and you see similarities with yourself, you have to just disconnect and go, hang on, I'm doing the book and I'm doing the part. And I want people to react a certain way, but I also need him to have a certain charm within the school um, that he would probably have a girlfriend mm -hmm. He wouldn't be hated, otherwise he'd be expelled. Mm. You know, he has to have a certain charm. And that kid at school, it was all under the radar. Like, you know, I think anyway, that, that version of the, the bully at school, it's not like even like the American high school jock. Mm -hmm. It's not, I'm going to put him to and steal punch. It's, I'm going to call you and, and, you know, say, hey, what's going on in front of everyone else, you know, or whatever. Um, but a couple of years before I did that role, um, I was doing a, a, another role in the West End, and uh, I found it quite hard because this character was a bit of, he was like the hero, but he was um, not very likable, right? And he was a bit bipolar, and he was a bit extreme. And the, the director was like, don't be afraid to be disliked. It's not you we dislike. But the audience are allowed to make the choice to dislike you or like you. It's not up to you to make that decision. Yeah? So you, I didn't write the script. I didn't mm -hmm. make the story. So mm -hmm. it's up to me to be the vehicle to allow that. And it's, it's, it, our natural thing is we want to be liked. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to put something out and go, I'm putting myself out there to be hated. But I also want them to care. And it's a very fine line. I want them to care about my story. I don't want them to hate me. I want them to root for my future and go, oh, I wish he wasn't such like that because I feel like he's influenced by his surroundings and his dad and this, that and the other. And that's just how he was brought up to go, you, you fucking queer or whatever mm -hmm. it is. It's, but it's not him. It's not, in, in, it's not innate in him. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's just how it's, it's, a, it's a product of his surroundings and stuff. And I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like 
it, it's it's tough. But yeah, I think when a, when a director said to me, to me, "Don't be afraid to be disliked," it resonated with me. I was like, "I'm going to remember that because we're not always going to play great people, you know, as actors. Um, there has to be a catalyst in there." I think. Yeah. yeah. Side note. Um, I wake myself up every morning by saying, hey, you queer. Um, so I, I very much am on the get that. Um, and what you're saying is it really resonates with me, I guess, from a drag perspective. Uh, I've, I've done Ooh. a lot of acting in theater, but I've kind of always, there have been moments where uh, in like shows or something, you make a joke or something, or mm. you do a number that might not hit or resonate or something. The great thing about what I do is I get to say, hey, if this doesn't, you know, rub you the right way, you can go yell at my closet because that's where that character exists. Mm -hmm. You know, but you don't have that kind of mask and you are walking down the street in the same persona. I get to take it all off and people can just be mad at some fictional character who lives in my house. You yeah. have to wear yeah, that yeah. day to day and have little old ladies threatening you. I'm, I'm so sorry for that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, it was cool because, because like, I, um, I was just getting, you know, good feedback from yeah. it and people saying, you know, I knew that guy, and, and obviously when people met me, it, they realised quite quickly that that's not me. Yeah. Um, you know, after talking to me for five minutes, and also me being so um, supportive of, of, of my friends within the, the the LGBTQ community, where we we're a team and we're allies and we all, we're all standing for the same cause. You know, the fact that I'm a straight man in this industry, I've, I have a lot of uh, influence. I would think with with kids who are a bit you know i because i got brought up in a very sports background and a very sort of like working class sporty kind of thing um but yeah like you say um i i i, I sort of looked like my character mm -hmm. on the street yeah. and i would get you know and obviously the theater is in the heart of soho as well so i would get people you know shouting stuff sometimes and be like where do i recognize you from and then, and then i got my hair cut at all all the sort of like um, the barbers in Soho, and they'd be like, "You're that guy," and I was like, oh, "Not me." And <laughs> you know, being sixteen, so it was, you must it have gotten carded all the time. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad that I, and also I'm much older than the character, so I can look at it from a, 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 a bird's eye perspective and go, "Let me see what I want to uh, put out there about this guy." I, you know, I'm not too, I'm not as close to the character's age as. Some of the other kids were in the cast who were like 19 or 20. You know, I was, I think I started the, the, the job when I was 29 and I finished when I was 32. So I was like, you know what I mean? It's, oh, it, you can that, sort of look yeah. down on it, yeah. you know. That's a lyrical joke in the show. Old, like 32. <laughs> I mean. Well, I did it on my birthday as well, and Leighton was giving it all that 30 you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so do you yeah. feel like you were able to find the sort of the the, the I mean Dean could very easily be played as just like a one note mm -hmm. like he's just a dick that's it mm -hmm. nothing else the whole time except maybe the yeah. end so like can you walk us through the, finding the, the the waves of of the character in certain mm -hmm. scenes of when you're going to be particularly mean and when you're going to be maybe charming. a little lighter or, or charming mm -hmm. but still Dean regardless mm -hmm. Sure. So when we had conversations about creating who he is, like um, as a as a person, we were like, I think he's probably known Jamie his whole life. Mm -hmm. They live on this estate, um, and they're comfortable enough with each other for Dean to give De uh, for Jamie to give Dean some shit back as well. Mm -hmm. There's never danger of like violence mm -hmm. ever. It's just um, mental. It's like uh, it's the in the first scene going mm -hmm. just under his breath, queer. Mm -hmm. And then the teacher saying, "What did you say?" Because this might happen quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And like even like uh, Dean's girlfriend in the show going, "Dean, oh, he's such a dick," yeah. you know, or this kind of. And and how I sort of weighed it up with the director when we discussed it, we said. I don't think he thinks he's doing anything wrong, mm -hmm. right? So his intention isn't to hurt someone's feelings. It's he's just having a bit of a laugh at someone's expense, right? So with that in mind, everything he does is influenced by his dad, who we who we created this whole character that his dad had major influence on this council estate and is really sort of like... Um, 
if I say like BNP, would that make it like the British National Party, like a like a like a proud boy, mm-hmm. sure. or whatever? You know, it's that yeah, kind like of like translate it into American nationalist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, you know that kind of like white supremacy sort of deal. Yeah, yeah. And he's influencing Dean really a, a lot, and he's going, you know, oh, James is a little queer. Don't fucking talk to him. Kind of. This is how our sort of backstory. So when when we're and I think Dean always thought everyone agreed with him. Mm-hmm. And behind his back, he's the only one that thinks this. Um, and because kids are quite accepting, really. <laughs> and kids are quite not really that bothered if that, if that boy wants to put heels on and makeup. Most kids are not that bothered, really, because they're worried about themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and going, oh, I'm a bit short, or I can't grow any stubble, or that kid's got hair under his armpits, and I don't, and... Um, all the girls are not going to like me, or you know, this is what I was going through at school. I wasn't bothered if if someone wants to be a drag queen or or, or not, and um, it was just interesting to me. But the the arcs of the scenes and things where uh, I think his his aim was just to disrupt um, Jamie's flow. And as soon as we were talking a lot about the status changed in each one, it was always an upper, and then. Uh, for instance, like at the start of Act Two, where Jamie comes out in, um, he's done his he's done his show, which we we never see. We sort of imagine what what it is, um, and then Dean thinks he's got him. Mm. He, he knows that he turned up to his show and he's made him feel awful, and he thinks right, he, Jamie's going to come in and it's not going to be a problem. Um, he's going to be so down, and I'm going to laugh at him. I'm going to call him this, call him that. It's going to be great. And then, he, and then he turns up in these lashes and everyone loves it. And he, it's sort of a bit fuming. But then he goes, oh, whatever. I can't remember what he says. <laughs> I completely forgot the script. But he says, says something to him on, on his way out. Oh, you think you're so special, don't you? Uh, Jamie. And he goes, who's Jamie? I'm Mimi. So then he's now taking it on. He's personified it. And now I don't. Now Dean doesn't know what to say to Mimi. So he's like, oh, oh. And he's kissed him and all this kind of stuff. He's like, oh. Fuming, fuming. So then he's constantly trying to up him. Right, what can I do now? What can I do now? Oh, I know. In, in the final scene, I'm going to attack his friend. Mm-hmm. That'll get him. But then his friend stands up to Dean, who's never even said a word to Dean. Like, Dean's mind is going mental, and he's looking around going, it's all right, because my mates and my girlfriend will back me up, and we'll all sort of, like, gang up. And no one stands up for Dean. They go, mm-hmm. what are you doing? You're ruining everything. Um, and... He then sort of has an epiphany of like, shit, I'm about to leave school with no qualifications, no mates. Uh, I've ruined the final, like the prom. <sighs> right. You know, and he, he's so stubborn that he leaves the thing and then comes back and goes like, I think she's right, isn't she? Like, what the fuck? Like, why have I never realised? Why did no one pull me aside and go, mate? We know, you know what you're saying, it's wrong. You know, and maybe he would have listened because I don't think he was stupid. And I, I think these kids who do all this stuff, I think they're quite intelligent, but they're just, they need someone to tell them what's going on mm-hmm. for real instead of like, oh, leave him alone, he, he's stupid. Leave him alone, he's sure. bully. Mm-hmm. And particularly need, someone who's someone like... pull him aside and go, look, this is wrong, mate. You can't be talking like that. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting to also kind of parallel him with uh, the father figure, with Jamie's dad, because if you think about Dean is someone who is in Jamie's life all the time, who might be giving him that shit, and meanwhile, he doesn't have those, like, direct hateful feelings because of anything, you know, that Jamie's done, versus Jamie's dad has decided to remove himself from the situation, but Jamie still gives him all the attention and power in the situation and thinks, what if... What if? Meanwhile, a bully like Dean comes to his face and Jamie's like, oh, I'll, I'll knock you down like it's nobody's business. It really is interesting to see how those relationships compare. And at the end, uh, it is a generational thing because Jamie's dad doesn't really come to as many terms as Dean does. Dean really does kind of have that, oh, I, I guess I can be a product of something bigger versus Jamie's dad's like, I, I don't want to. No, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's so sort of like, because they're quite paralleled, but in a very different kind of way. Yeah. And maybe, you know, and maybe like Jamie's dad and Dean's dad are mates, you know, this yeah. kind of weird kind of thing. Um, someone came up to me at the end of the show once, and this, this guy came in full drag. Uh, he was Australian, I think. And he had this sort of um, 
black uh, blazer on with feathers, like peacock feathers and full out. And he came up to me at, uh, and heels on and everything, came up to me at stage door. And I thought he's going to say, uh, I knew a guy like Jamie. I was uh, a guy like Jay, a guy like Dean. I was like Jamie. And he said the complete opposite. He was like, I was Dean. And I was like, whoa. It was like, I was so angry with how I felt as, as my true self that I used to like bully other kids like Dean does because he felt this. And there was a sort of like, we were teetering on the fact of uh, we wanted to tease a, a question that the audience could make up their own minds of, uh, is Dean gay? Is he not? Uh, is Does he really want to be as free and open as himself as Jamie is? Does he, you know, we want we didn't want to um, make an answer to all this, but we, we decided like, Dean's definitely not gay, but he definitely doesn't understand uh, what it's like to be different, to be, uh, he doesn't get it, you know, sure. because he's never, because in his head, everyone's the same, mm-hmm. everyone's the conformatist thing, um, which we all know is just bullshit, you know, mm-hmm. everyone's different, mm-hmm. every single person is different, and it's just, it's crazy that like, you know, our Western world thinks that this there's a, there is a norm, there's a normal kind of person, what's normal, like it's, um, but they all seem to be um, theatricalized into this character, right? You know, the Dean or the, the dad or um, the Connor in uh, Evan Hansen, the, the whatever, you know, it's these kids who are all, they're, they're not normal themselves, and but they want to profess that they are. Or sure. It's, I don't know. But it's sort of like it resonates is what kind of what I'm saying in, in different age groups, you know, people who were like old, old men were going, I knew that guy at school. Yeah. Um, and then young kids were going, I know that guy at school. So it's like they take on the same characters in social, um, social aspects. So it's interesting. Yeah. But yeah. Well, great. Well, Luke, thank you so much yeah. for talking to us. I appreciate it. Um, no problem. Thanks for having was, me. Yeah, no, this was this was this was really really great and insightful. Um, I know it's evening where you are, so yeah. um, uh, I hope it's we're on. Well, I mean, it's still what time is it now? It's like two two thirty. So you know, it's gonna uh, be dark in a minute or two. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I hope you have a good rest of your evening, um, and I will be sure to tag you on Instagram yeah. when we when we uh, oh, post great. this. Well, thanks very much. Yeah. Have a great day. See you later. Bye. Bye, guys. You're a douche, you're under. See how precious you are. You're half a dead cow.